Hey everybody, Matt Camp here with Deal Machine. Uh, we're proud to team up with Tom Zeeb here to give you guys a ton of free stuff. So our goal here is to give you the free toolkit to get out there and start finding off-market deals. Um, we're proud to say we're the highest rated and most reviewed app out there to go find off-market deals. And we've had over 10,000 deals done using the Deal Machine app. Now, when you download it, you can get it for free at tomzeeb.com slash dealmachine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial with that. And jumping into Deal Machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace, you can send them postcards, you can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, You know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomzeeb.com slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're going to get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um, get out there and happy deal finding. The rent that comes in doesn't cover the costs. So they have to, you know, it costs money to own these assets when you own it in California, unless you have a short-term rental, that's something new that actually can cash flow, but that's not passive, right? And it can be, but it's, it's definitely more of an active investment. Welcome to the Get Traction Podcast. If you are ready to learn exactly what it takes to become a real estate entrepreneur, this is the show for you. With your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Z. Kathy Betke, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to see you. Good to see you too again. So for, I saw you a few months ago when we were in the Los Angeles area, but for people who don't know you, give us a brief introduction. What, who are you and what do you do? Well, I am the co-CEO of Real Wealth Network, which is a an organization with 56,000 members now. We help a lot of investors and not yet investors, people becoming investors who've maybe spent their time in the stock market not really knowing there was anything else. So we help people acquire cash flowing assets in places that maybe cash flow better than where they live, which is generally out of state. So we help them, you know, acquire properties that cash flow, they're renovated and there's property management in place to make it pretty easy for the first time investor or the hundredth time investor. I mean, you know, sometimes it's just easier to have it done for you. And that's what we do. And we also provide a tremendous amount of free education. I prefer that people put their money, you know, into investments than, you know, $50,000 boot camps. And I don't know if you're doing a $50,000 boot camp. If it's $50,000, it's, if you were doing it, it would probably be worth every penny. But there's a lot of people out there where maybe that's not the case. <laughs> you're very kind. I don't have a $50,000 boot camp, but I feel, surprise, surprise, Kathy, I feel the same way you do about it. It's, okay. If that's just overdone. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, education and coaching is really important and, and you have to pay for that. I just see sometimes people that have done just one or two deals and suddenly, you know, they're charging 30 grand for, for something. Anyway, so we try to give people a lot of information. It's free. And then, of course, the way we make our money is as a licensed real estate agent, we do a broker to broker agreement. So the broker in Florida might, you know, find that property for the person and pay us a referral fee. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. Got you. So you are treating real estate investments. I don't want this to sound bad, but you know, like a stock market investment, you're taking people who used to invest in the stocks because they thought it was easy. And you're saying it's actually better 
to put that money in the real estate and you're making that easy. Is that? Yeah. I mean, that I would say to use that comparison would probably be more accurate for our syndications. And for listeners who aren't familiar with what that is, a syndication is a group investment. And that's where you literally just hand your money over to a manager, somebody, you know, an investor who will do the deal for you. They'll do all the work for you. All you're doing is giving them the money. Then that's kind of more similar to Wall Street. We do have some of those where we are, you know, we were going to buy $6 million worth of land. And so we brought in investors, each paying $50,000 each. We brought in a developer to manage all of that. And we're building houses. And you know what? The timing is really good for that. (laughs) There's desperate need for houses. So we're doing syndications in Reno and all over Nevada and Tampa, actually, and and Bozeman, Montana, kind of these Mm -hmm. off the the map places that we thought were cool, but now they're really in demand uh, with everything that's going on with COVID. So that I would say is very much like Wall Street. Mm -hmm. The other things we do, which is more broker to broker, we might help somebody just buy their first investment property. That's maybe a $120,000 house in just North of Tampa. Now that's getting harder and harder to find, but, and it might rent for, you know, a thousand or 1200 a month, but the management's in place. The main, you know, big ticket items have been replaced. And so it's not a new home, but it's been renovated. And, you know, we just sort of walk people through that process of what's it like to buy that first investment property. You know, we've got the the list of mortgage brokers and the insurance companies that, you know, that they can talk to and asset protection companies and all the things that they're going to need to feel safe doing that for the first time. Or like I said, the 10th time. So what is it like then for them? What's it like for somebody to buy the first or, you know, a couple in of an investment property that's aiming for cash flow? Sure. Okay. So for most of our members, we're located in California. So we have people who just don't understand real estate very well, except for appreciation. That's all they know, right? (laughs) In California, all you know is appreciation. I can't imagine. That's it. Or complete (laughs) depreciation, like as in loss of everything because- And negative cash flow, like Californians understand cash flow, but of the negative variety. So um, (laughs) they're used to feeding their properties, hoping, you know, paying for them that the rent that comes in doesn't cover the costs. So they have to, you know, it costs money to own these assets when you own it in California, unless you have a short term rental, that's something new that actually can cash flow, but that's not passive, right? And it can be, but it's it's definitely more of an active investment. Yeah. So somebody might have bought a property, say in 2009, because they saw what a great deal it was and they were smart and they had the ability. And that property may have tripled in value, quadrupled possibly in the last 10 years. So they might literally be sitting on a million dollar property. I kid you not. I meet people like this all the time. They maybe paid $250,000, which is super cheap in California. Yeah. And in four, you know, in 10 years, it may be worth a million. Now they may be still making about two to $3,000 a month in rent on that. Now, when they paid $250,000 for the property, getting $2,000 a month in rent is pretty good, right? Yeah. But you wouldn't buy a million dollar property <laughs> and be happy with $2,500 in rent. Nope. You know that that would be negative cash flow. So we help people see that they have this dead equity sitting there that's doing nothing. That sure, it made sense when you bought it, but now you could reposition that and just dramatically change your life. 
but that's scary for people. So what that might look like is someone would come to me and say, Hey, I bought this property. It's worth a million dollars now. What do I do? And we would teach them a 1031 exchange, which is means mm-hmm. that you can sell that property and buy, you know, different properties that are similar, but similar in real estate terms is actually could be quite different, right? So yeah. you just have to buy, They if they sold it for a million dollars and they didn't want to pay taxes on that $750,000 capital gain that they made, they could buy, as you know, a million dollars worth of property elsewhere. Yeah. And it could be four $250,000 properties. So they could sell that one by four, they could buy five $200,000 properties. They would just have to have the same amount of debt. So if they didn't have any debt, no big deal. But if, let's say they had a $100,000 loan on that initial investment, they would just have to have another $100,000 loan on at least one of the four properties they buy, or they could buy 10 properties, you know? So there's, there's lots of options in that scenario. And the people I help do that They'll go from that, like I said, that $2,000 a month that they were living on in cash flow or that was maybe just supplementing to 8,000 or 10,000. And suddenly life is different for them. Very different. Yeah. Very different. (laughs) I've seen many people look at what they've been doing and say, well, I don't really maybe need this job anymore. You know, maybe I just want to do this again, (laughs) you know? So we've turned a lot of people who did did like made good decisions, but just didn't know there were even better decisions that could make them completely job optional. Gotcha. So, yeah. Gotcha. So many things to unpack there, Kathy. Let's see. So <laughs> <laughs> people need to recognize when they're sitting on a gold mine, but they may not have realized the gold mine developed underneath them through the appreciation. When yeah. that happens, they've got to get comfortable with investing out of state or investing in a different area. I mean, Let's talk about that for a minute. It sounds like you deal with a lot of investments that are not in the same state as your investor. So how does that work and how do people need to get comfortable with that? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So I'll just sum that up in a story, if you don't mind. (laughs) Back in 2005, I had a radio show in San Francisco. That's kind of how I started. And it was my desperate attempt to understand how some people didn't have to work. You know, I, I wanted to know how, like, <laughs> I always want to work, but I also want to know that I don't have to, like, I'm not stressed about money and I would see people. So I wanted to interview them and I, having a radio show in San Francisco, they would talk to me about it. <laughs> so I had people like Robert Kiyosaki on my, on my little show. Now that ended up turning into a podcast. It's the Real Well Show today. It's been, I've been doing it for, oh my gosh, over 15 years now. You know, at the time when I was starting, I was able to talk to people with more experience than me. If you remember, 2005 was a time where you know loans were easy, anyone could get one. That drove home prices up. So it was a very different market. We have home prices going up now, but different reasons. Back then, it was any, it was just bad lending, bad lending. Anyone could get a loan. They could put no money down. They could get cash back. Well, why would you not do that? They could make a tiny portion of the payment. So prices were going up. And if you timed it well, you could make a lot of money. If you timed it poorly and you didn't know when those loans would reset, well, then you would lose everything because the bubble would burst. And of course it did. Now, Robert Kiyosaki came on our show in 2005 and he said, everybody knows these are liar loans. All you have to do is go to your mortgage broker and they'll tell you to write whatever you want on the application. Like this isn't a secret. And he goes, it's also not a secret that they're going to adjust in 2007 and people are going to have to actually make the real payment and they won't be able to. So again, none of this was hidden. It it. was known. And so he said in 2007, it's going to begin. In 2008, it's going to be a complete crisis. So you've got to prepare. 
So he sold all these houses in California and all these properties and apartments at the peak in 2005, 2006, knowing that things were going to change in 2007. And he did exactly what I just said in 1031 exchanged into Texas because Texas wasn't allowing those kinds of loans. They were doing some, but not like they were in California. You can do 100% investor loan, unlimited money back, that kind of crazy stuff, or, or to cash out, refinance more than the house was worth. I mean, these were crazy decisions that somebody in a boardroom thought might be okay. I don't know. Or maybe they meant to do it. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the writing was on the wall. And so he explained on The Real Wall Show back in 2005 that you got to time it well when you're in these these sand states, basically the states that really are more roller coaster like, not the linear states. California, Arizona, Florida, they tend to do a little more of this. Yeah. So, you know, you can make money if it's going up, but you better sell at the top because it's going to go back down. And so he said, you know, now's the time to sell everything, buy in Texas, which is a linear market, it doesn't go up and down. However, because they hadn't been doing the crazy loans and because there was massive job growth, because Texas would take on new leadership that wanted to attract business and be really business friendly. And they started that in the 80s and it really took off. Now they started after the SNL crisis. So they wanted to recover the economy after that and just made it a super business friendly place. Now, what a concept, right? So Amazing. businesses went there. They got tax credits. They got you know all kinds of incentives for moving their businesses there. And of course, that attracted people and people need housing. So again, not a secret. This was very out there. Kiyosaki could see it. Very few people could. All people could see was the past that nothing ever seemed to happen in Texas. It was just flat, a flat housing market. But when you have that many jobs coming and that many people, you can't build enough houses quick enough, no matter where you are, yeah. to keep up with that kind of growth. So again, he timed it. He sold at the peak in California bought at the bottom in Texas in 2005. The areas he bought and never experienced any kind of dip. In fact, rents went up. Okay. So we did the same. I jumped on a plane right after he was on the show. I bought five properties. That was back when I, I didn't have to put any money down. Right. <laughs> really easy. Really easy to buy That's five properties. take in action. Get, I mean, finish the conversation, jump on a plane, buy five houses. Go. And my husband was like, what are we doing? And, but when he saw them, it's like, how does a $140,000 brand new house in a cute suburb with good schools, an area where there's job growth, population growth, new hospitals, new schools, new freeways. I mean, how yeah. are you going to go wrong there when it rents, when all the rents more than cover and you got cash flow? You know, you're not going to go wrong there. So he got it. He did it. We ended up buying 12. Okay. And yeah. And I came back and talked about it on the show. And then my phones just went off the hook with people saying, I want to do that. I agree. That makes sense. I had one lady basically had three properties in Stockton, California that were $400,000 each, just complete junk. She okay. couldn't keep them rented. It was a crime ridden area, bad schools, constant repairs. It was negative cash flow anyway. And then with all the repairs, she's like, real estate's awful. I hate it. Why would anyone want to do this? And I said, well, yeah, the way you're doing it's bad. Let's sell those. Let's exchange them tax deferred into nine brand new properties in Texas. Sell the old <laughs> three dumpy ones mm -hmm. that rent for $1,200. Well, let's buy nine brand new ones that also rent for $1,200 each. She's one of those people that was able to quit her job like the next week after she did that one thing 
And of course we helped her. We had, you know, the agents out there, we had the property managers, we had the maintenance crews, everything for her to feel comfortable doing that. We brought her there, toured the place and everything. And again, she was able to quit her job. And then a, a year later, the market crashed. Her Stockton properties that she sold for $400,000 were worth about $75,000 each. Nice. Yikes. Person <laughs> she who, got out just in the nick of time. The, but how sad for the person who bought those. Oh, yeah. Somebody thought buying three dilapidated properties for $400,000 that rent for $1,200 thought that was a good deal. That's what I teach today. <laughs> He's like, don't do that. Don't Watch be that guy. <laughs> yeah. So moving the money in a different state in that case makes sense. I think people see that it makes sense. What about trepidation as to the markets? Uh, Kathy, how are you evaluating of the markets? Because I think that's a skill that investors can use both in their own backyard, but also way yeah. beyond their backyard in other states. What are you looking for to evaluate a market? Honestly, if it's in my market, like I do have an Airbnb down the street mm -hmm. and it's active, although I've tried to make it as passive as possible, but I still, I still kind of just like meeting the guests and bringing them flowers. Sure. And I, I don't know, I kind of just think that's fun. <laughs> so I have fun. a local business that is that is active and it works. It's great. It's been probably my best investment ever. So, you know, when, when you own something near your house, it can be a little different than when you own it far away. If you love fixing things, if you love flipping houses, you should do that near you. Mm -hmm. And I assure you, even in this high priced market in California, there's people around here flipping houses and making money. Yeah. I'm not going to do that because that's, that's, I would have to buy a million dollar dump put, you know, several hundred thousand into it and try to flip it. To me, that's just ugh, too risky, but people do it all the time. So it's really different for everybody. But what we do is the things that we look for in a buy and hold market, meaning we don't want to have to do much. It's far away. You know, if we're in California. We own properties in Florida. I'm not, I'm not going out there very much. You know, we got properties in Texas. I'm not going there very, you know, it needs to just be easy and it needs to be easy for the property manager. So we look for areas that are, that are strong working class. So B class, I guess I would call it. It's people who have good jobs like nurses and firefighters and, and uh, you know, teachers and so forth. We go into those neighborhoods in the areas where we go to, they're between one hundred and two hundred thousand dollars. Gotcha. We buy them for cheaper. We have renovation teams, and like I said, we update them. We do that because that's hard for an investor to do when you live across the country. I mean, how are you going to do that? You know, by the time you fly back and forth, and I can't even manage a contractor. I've been trying to get my contractor to my Airbnb <laughs> for like a month. I can't imagine doing it from far away. So you know, every investor's having. So we get all that done, all the, the new HVAC, new plumbing, new water, electrical, all that stuff, the roofing, things that are really going to eat your cash flow if you don't, you know, if it comes up later. We get all that done. So we find houses where we can get all of that new and still offer it to investors under market value and with enough cash flow to cover the cost with some extra for cash flow. Okay. And so that would be one. We look for those B-class neighborhoods. But we also, because I'm from California and I love also appreciation. Cash flow is nice, but I like to see prices go up. Yeah. I like to know that this area is up and coming. So some people love to invest in places like Jackson, Mississippi, and I no offense to Jackson, Mississippi. I just don't think prices ever really go up much there. So it's more of a cash flow market, unless there's something happening there I don't know about. But in an area, like I said, north of Tampa, 
we were buying houses there for $75,000 a few years ago. We knew what was coming to Tampa. Yeah. People from, you know, <laughs> from New York and DC. Everyone. We knew there was this massive population ready to retire. They're not going to retire in New Jersey, I, I don't think. I think they're going to retire in, in Florida. And that wave was coming. So we we saw that and we thought, okay. And then we bought in this area north of Tampa where there was new freeway, the, the government's putting money into new freeways, new hospitals. These are signs to look for, you know, new jobs coming in. And then you're probably, if you can find a place that has, is job friendly and there's jobs coming in and there's, that attracts people and there's infrastructure growth and it's affordable. Those are the four things. It's still affordable for the average person. I don't think you can fail. Because <laughs> that's a market that is starting to boom and that boom yeah. is going to lift, that rising tide is going to lift all the boats. Exactly. Like Kathy, yeah. when you said a B-type neighborhood, is A the top? Because some people do it backwards. So I want to make sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, understand. you know, it's you're not really supposed a, to B, C, classify B. neighborhoods. I think it's like a, a no-no. But generally, what I mean is A class would be higher end, newer. I think one safe way to talk about that kind of area is like 10 years old, maybe 10 to 15 yeah. years old, fairly new, modern-ish. And I'm trying to think of the kind of storage you'd see a Nordstrom or a Whole Foods, right? That would be A class. A B class would be like a normal, like, I don't know, Safeway is what we have here, but the yeah. Ralphs, there's um, pavilions or I forget what you guys have out there. Whatever regular old supermarket. Regular store, a regular yeah. store, not high end. Food lines and Safeways and uh, Publix in Florida. Yeah, Publix. Yeah, stuff like that. That would be the stores in, in nearby. You would see a little bit older homes, maybe 20 to 30 years old neighborhoods that are kind of grown. This doesn't mean that they're low end by any means. They're just more established neighborhoods. And, but more stuff is going to break. You know, it's going to be older homes that not all of them have been fixed. There's older people generally there. And then C-class would be older than that. So maybe 40, older than 40, 30, 40 years old, kind of outdated. You drive through and it's like, wow, this could really use a facelift type thing. Yep. Not as nice cars. You're going to see more broken down cars, whereas the B-class, you're going to see the Camrys and stuff like that. I don't know, you know, the Toyotas. So, and then, but I like C-class too. I think that can be good areas. It's really the C- minus and D neighborhoods that I won't go near personally. That tends to be higher crime. Yeah, just higher crime is the big thing and not, people aren't necessarily working on a lot of jobs there. Gotcha. Okay, that's a good market breakdown worth going over so people understand it, it's good to have a framework and a paradigm for what, how you're looking at things so you can evaluate where do you want to be where do you think the growth is and in a given market and in a given town how do you think that fluctuates because that all starts to change those c c plus neighborhoods when a lot of jobs come in and yeah. the city starts to grow, well, those are the places that get fixed up. And then it turns into a, a B minus. That's B. it. We were buying in Port St. Lucie, which is again, you know, the yeah. north of Tampa. And I think about like 45 minutes. And this was really old neighborhoods. I would say closer to, you know, B minus class, really older neighborhoods, a lot of senior citizens. And what was happening is that it, there was a turnover where a lot of those people were either going into, you know, senior housing or passing on. And so, what would happen? Well, we would renovate it and a young family would come in, right? So, you know, we're, you start to see that. And now the neighborhoods are really changing and being updated. Yeah. Yeah. And there's good money to be made in that updating process because yeah. you're getting the, the value of the work you do creates an immediate appreciation, but then there's also that appreciation occurring to the whole neighborhood over time. And you, yeah. you kind of, you get the double dip. Yes, exactly. 
<laughs> Nothing is good like that. So <laughs> the topic that we almost can't avoid talking about, but yet <laughs> I'm honestly tired of talking about it, but I have no choice. How has COVID impacted this? Uh, you know, it's almost like I describe COVID kind of like giving like childbirth, like labor. And this is so funny. You have to explain for me. I will. It's like, it's so awful. But as soon as it's done, you have this little baby and it's like, oh my gosh, this baby's so cute. And somehow nature has you completely forget. happened. Gotcha. I feel like people have forgotten COVID. Like they're out. If you go anywhere, it is just, it's crazy out there. People are acting like it never happened. You know, the, my, my daughter has been going to nightclubs that are inside, indoors, tight rooms, dancing, breathing hard. It's like, wow. Well, okay. I guess nobody cares. So it's kind of like this distant memory. What, what COVID, what, you know, what happened? I don't know. The result is a little bit of, um, mania, right? Like people are going crazy to get out. And I, from what I heard, like even cruise ships are packed. I have a friend who's a travel agent. She can't get anybody booked for anything. Can't get to Europe. It's packed. People want to get back out. For us, one of the impacts of COVID is, you know, we started Airbnb during COVID and we're like, maybe you want to stay in Airbnb because it feels safe. Well, sure enough, it was booked every night. We had to keep raising the prices. So I think Airbnbs did really well. Whereas at the beginning of all of this, there was all this concern that nobody, you know, that people were going to lose their Airbnbs. Not at all. Opposite. Same thing with housing. We learned really early on. I started in March. I was so freaked out when they started the eviction moratoriums and the forbearances. I was like, oh my gosh, I've helped thousands of people buy houses nationwide and How are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through this? So I had a property manager on a webinar every day during March and April and May, I think even until June. I, because we have 15 cities that we're in. And so 15 property managers. So every day we'd have a different one. And then two weeks later, we'd recycle and go back to say, you know, Dallas, Atlanta, Detroit, Cleveland, you know, Chicago, a different property manager to tell us boots on the street when the world was going on. And I was ready, you know, I believe in full transparency, you know, helping people see what's coming, prepare for it. If we were going to be stuck with a lot of evictions, we better get ready, yeah. you know? And, and so I bring the property managers on. I say, what are you doing? How are our investors doing? We're doing it live broadcast. And they're like, you know, we have more applications than ever. We can't keep up with demand. We don't have anybody not paying. Like, really? Okay. You know, and this is in the middle of it, the heat of it. So then the next day it would be a different city. Same story. Detroit. I'm like, okay, Detroit. They're they're going to be really nice. Right? Detroit was in the news all the time. Yeah. Property manager there. You know, but we have a waiting list of applicants. They are really qualified. They're. You know, like, what do you credit this to, then, Kathy? Because that that's not something I'm hearing from the average landlord. What do you credit yeah. your success and separating from the crowd that that wasn't doing that's a good question because i was personally shocked i mean we had a higher lower vacancy rate than ever i think the reason is that we've always picked like i said the b-class neighborhoods nice homes we fix them up we make them safe they're beautiful and they're in in good neighborhoods they're in the median price range we were just below what the hedge funds were buying Hedge funds were buying sort of stuff that didn't really cash flow, but it was nice. Yeah. But we were buying nice stuff that did cash flow, just slightly under the prices and slightly not as 
high-end neighborhoods as they were doing, but still nice. And so I think that maybe people were leaving apartments and flocking to these homes that maybe were the same price, you know, didn't cost them more, maybe slightly more, but then they could have more room and they could have yards. That's all I can attribute it to. Gotcha. It was, it's been crazy and it hasn't stopped. It, It has not stopped. We have been busier than ever. (laughs) As I said, we syndicate, we have these, you know, we're building homes across the U S and I was like, Oh, in March, (laughs) what have I done? You know? And then, and it was slow for about a month and we're all freaking out. And then all of a sudden we couldn't keep up with demand. Okay. Just, oh yeah. It's moving well for you now. Very well. Let's look ahead. What's the, what's the outlook? Because obviously when you're in, you said 15 different markets across America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you, and you've described what you look for in a market and whatnot. So w- let's look at the road ahead there, real estate wise. What do you see? Where's the market heading? What areas are looking solid? What are areas to maybe avoid or that don't look so solid? What do you, what do you sense out there? You know, it's kind of the same thing we've been doing for years, which is following the demographics. I am not an economist. I am not a 40-year veteran, although now I'm a 20-year veteran real estate investor, so I'm getting up there. But I rely on those who really know more than me. And and that's what I do on my show is interview these people. So what they're saying, people who study demographics, is that, that there's this movement, this demographic shift to the Southeast. And that, you know, you're an example of that. Yes. There's... <laughs> It's a beautiful place, right? You've got Florida, you've got Georgia, the Carolinas, Texas, I I suppose fits somewhere in there in the Southeast. And these are areas where it's still pretty affordable compared to the coasts. And we also noticed during probably one of the toughest times in US history, I'm sure it wasn't as tough as the Civil War and all that, but, uh, but we faced a pretty tough year and there were certain areas that did better than others. And, and I think people took notice, business owners took notice. Where were businesses allowed to stay open? Where could they function? Where were landlords allowed to operate? You know, where could home builders still build so that, you know, there's not such a housing crunch? So people took note, you know, and you've got this, now what was already in play, now this demographic shift to the Southeast where there were jobs and it was already cheaper and nice, you know, like who doesn't want to live on the beach? People go on vacation on Florida. Why not live there? You know, <laughs> you know that that has just accelerated because of COVID. So what was already in place has accelerated. There was already a work from home thing. We at Real Wealth Network, we have been a remote company for 10 years because Rich and I wanted to live near the beach. Our office was up in San Francisco. We were done with that. So we kept the office there, but we left. And then the rest of our employees were like, wait, if you're going to live where you want, we want to live where we want. We want to go to office down. All of a sudden we had $5,000 more a month, you know, because that's what that office cost. I think it was going up to seven. So it's like, ooh, what can we do with an extra 7,000 a month? I know we'll save that money and do quarterly awesome retreats and just meet in person somewhere, you know, or like summer and winter. And so we would just treat the whole staff to like an amazing ski vacation or summer vacation. And we meet there and we'd have our meetings. Otherwise everyone worked from home. So the whole remote thing really took off. That was already taking off. Now it is off. And a lot of companies are going, oh, I mean, Rich and I are early adopters. So we've been Zooming and webinaring and, you know, working remotely using Basecamp for our projects and for years. But now other companies who are a little more resistant 
you know, you watched all these baby boomers trying to figure out Zoom. They're yeah. experts now. You yeah. can't make fun of them anymore. They nope. got it. <laughs> it took so, you. They can log on and talk to a cat. They know. They don't have to. You know, their attorneys aren't showing up as cats anymore. Did you see that one? <laughs> they, they had the wrong wrong camera. <laughs> he had a filter on this attorney during a hearing, and he showed up as a cat, and he couldn't change the filter. Anyway, that was. Something one of the best. The you got to look it up. Cat <laughs> attorney. It's it. something the kids put on. Well, that's that's what I find. It is. I noticed a slight trend for the last few years that older people were getting more comfortable with technology. And I had credited it to at the time, this is you know, all pre-COVID, that they wanted to see their grandchildren on, on Skype or FaceTime or, yeah. or, or WhatsApp. So they were getting used to that. And older phones just faded out anyway. So they were stuck with a newer phone. So I noticed a little bit more adoption of that in the past. And so, but now it's been accelerated massively, which I think is a good thing because we can yeah. get face to face with someone, even when you're not physically face to face, which is right. you know, when you're dealing with a motivated seller, it's a really good thing. And yes. I'm with you, Kathy, I've been operating remotely for you know 20 years too. And it's, it's long before it was hip and happening. And what I'm finding amusing now is watching employees who got a taste of the entrepreneurial lifestyle of working remotely from home because of COVID and they don't want to give that up. So they, they still you know, kind of, they still have the employee mentality, they want the job and the benefits, but they want the entrepreneurial lifestyle of, I want to work from wherever I can do my work in a few hours. It doesn't yeah. take all day long when you're not wasting time at a water cooler. Yeah, no, for sure. We hired this girl when she was 22 out of college, Maggie, Maggie Pike. And she ended up not, she didn't know anything about anything, <laughs> but but she came in and ended up just being unbelievable, putting on our events and then rising up to b- becoming a director in our company yeah. by the time, but she'd been with us for nine years when she was turning 30. And she was like, you know what? I love you. And I need to see the world. I'm, I'm going to have kids in a few years. I I'm going to, I'm piecing out. And I was like, huh, no, you, no, I can't <laughs> live without you. Can you work remotely? And she was like, okay. So she ended up working three years out of Airbnbs, just she would be in a different country every month. Yep. She ended up, her overhead was less by living in Colombia and in Asia and all over. But she, I didn't notice, I, it, she didn't skip a beat. After three years, she said, you know, I love you, but I am tired of working in cafe <laughs> and I am actually going to take a year off and actually travel. But for three years, she did that. Well, you're seeing that now. It's not just people deciding, Oh, I can now live in, you know, in Wyoming in one of the homes we're building in, in uh, Montana. That's not Wyoming, Montana. Very, very close. Bozeman, Uh you know, these are three, $400,000 houses and you're a half an hour from the best king in the world. Yeah. You know, so people are doing that and saying, I don't want to live in New York or San Francisco or LA. I want to live near fishing and skiing and hiking. So they can do that. But then you can also do what Maggie did and go live in, I don't know, you know, Bangkok or, you know. Spain, you know, so that, so that's the world is going to suddenly be everyone's playground, everyone's backyard. It's exciting. I think it's incredible. Yeah. It adds a lot to it. So you think about where it's going. You can have the life you want. Real estate can provide the cash flow to make it happen. Like the example you gave earlier of, you know, someone was suddenly, you know, three, four times what they were making. Yeah. What's it take to make that initial step? I mean, you, Talk to Rich Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, jump on a plane, buy a ton of houses. What is that something clicked inside of you? Is that something that's transferable to others? I mean, Kathy, what kind of yes. words of encouragement? Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. It, listen, I didn't know anything about investing at all. 
But when it started for me, Rich had a freckle on his forehead. He went to get it checked. Turned out it was melanoma. He was, was 2003. Doctor told him it had spread and he had six months to live. Mm-hmm. Doctor was wrong. Rich is fine today. Got cut out and he's okay. He's great. But at the time I didn't know. So I had this radio show in San Francisco and I was desperately trying to find out how could I be a single mother, stay-at-home mom, take care of these two kids that were young if the doctor was right. I had to figure it out. So I just started desperately interviewing people. And I cannot tell you, like for me, it wasn't video. I was was on radio. But if people could have seen my face when I learned this stuff, you know, bring on a mortgage broker. Oh yeah, you know, you just... We'll finance up to 10, you know, back then it was unlimited. Today it's up to 10 loans and no money down back then. So, you know, it was like, imagine somebody telling me, oh, you could buy unlimited amount of property, no money down. Oh, okay. Well, how do I do that? Well, credit, I bring a credit guy in. Oh yeah, this is how you keep your credit good or fix it if it's bad. Oh, okay. I didn't know you could do that. Well, what about like all the things you hear about? Like, I don't want to fix toilets. Oh, well, that's what property managers are for. Talk to my property manager, bring them on. Oh yeah, we take care of everything. We just take eight, eight to 10% of rents. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. And well, what if someone wants to sue me? Oh, we'll talk to my asset protection guy. Yeah. Oh, you put it in an LLC and then, okay, now you're protected and anonymous. I like that. Just like nobody knows this stuff. And when I started, nobody knew it. It like you had to pay, you had to go to late night TV stuff or like, like your accountant didn't sit you down and say, here's how you can pay no taxes, own a lot of real estate. Did your accountant tell you that? Mine didn't. No, Mine I didn't. had to sit. I sit them down, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, this is possible. Read this. Talk to this. Yeah. Tell me what you think. And honestly, if they don't like it, then I get rid of them. I mean, just like I couldn't believe it, and so I was learning live, and as I was mm-hmm. learning live, so was my audience, and we were just all like, "What? You know what?" And that's when I started doing live events, and that's when we started Real Wealth Network. And I just wanted this information available. I didn't even know how to make money from owning a real estate investor club. It was just like, I just want to learn more. And if I own a club, then I can bring in speakers and learn more for free. You know, that was like my thinking. Fantastic. It turned out that one of our sponsors of the Real Wealth Show was a mortgage broker. And when he brought in, we just started to interview all his clients who were, you know, retired by the age of 30. I was interviewing these kinds of people And of course, our phones just started ringing off the hook of people going, I want to do that. I want to do that. So my sponsor said, you know what, go get your real estate license and become a mortgage broker and take these clients. He's like, I I can't handle all the business. So that's how I started to make money from it. Got my real estate license, became a mortgage broker and was able to help finance all these people into getting investment property. Gotcha. Now, I know you felt the push because, you know, know, your husband might have had cancer could have been problematic. You were planning for a not very good time, but, and thank God it didn't work out that way. But how do you wade into an area? Because most people would say, well, oh, I hear this and this is possible and that's possible, but is it really possible? I mean, Kathy, how did you cast your doubt aside? It just made sense. That's all I can say. (laughs) It, to me, it was like something clicked and, you know, obviously, you know, we didn't own any real estate in California, So how could I, you know, but all of a sudden I can buy a $140,000 house. I I mean, today that would be $30,000 down back then it was zero down. I mean, why not? I could fix my credit to make that possible. 
you know, again, today, I still would have done it back then. I would have found a way to, to save the money and put that down payment or do creative financing or something like that. But it just made sense that this was a solid, you know, what I didn't understand is anything else. Like I would go to these financial planner meetings and just be like, I don't understand how is investing in this going to get me retired in 40 years? You know, I would look at what they were telling me and it didn't make sense. It's like, I'm still not, we're going to save all this money, give it to you and hope <laughs> that when I'm 70, maybe we have enough money. You know, like, like that didn't make sense. So when I saw this, it was like, whoa, wait, I can borrow money from the bank, acquire an asset. All of the cash flow is mine. All of the tax write-offs are mine. All of the appreciation is mine. That somebody else is paying that debt off for me. It's just like, I've got some an insurance company if anything goes wrong. I've got asset protection if someone sues me. I've got a management company taking care of the stuff I don't know how to fix. It's like, oh, sign me up. Everything's, <laughs> everything's taken care of. Okay. Said, I love the fact that you say it made what it was clear. So that made sense. What everyone else tends to do and accepts blindly is literally doesn't really make a lot of sense. And so mm. learn it. Yes. Get the right team in place and make it happen. Yeah, that's such a great point. Yes. That's been your great key to success. Kathy, how can people reach you? Uh, you mentioned Real Wealth Network is realwealth.com. Yes, you can go there, but you get all the free education at realwealthnetwork.com. Gotcha. Realwealthnetwork.com. It's real like real estate wealth, like your money and network as in the network we have nationwide. Again, it's free. We have like 500 webinars that you can learn from and teams across the country that just had rave reviews from our members who bought from them. And if they don't, they're not on that list anymore. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Well, I'm, I'm at your suggestion. I joined your community and I love the information you have in there, particularly from market analysis and seeing what parts of the country you have teams in and working in. And each one of those have given a, a market analysis of that area. I see the teams that are there and I go, this makes a ton of sense. You've, you've made it You've made it as easy for others as I think you, when you were making it easy for yourself. And I, that's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that from coming from you. <laughs> oh, well, thanks, Kathy. <laughs> Likewise. Well, awesome. And thank you for a fantastic interview. Again, I appreciate your candor. I think people got a lot out of this. There's a lot to go back and listen to again, you know, market analysis and, and digging in and how you figure things out and where you want to be. Uh, you dropped tons of value bombs all over the place. So I appreciate that, Kathy. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, I hope to see you again, maybe in Florida next time. Sounds good. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Your next step is to visit GetTractionPodcast.com. Happy wholesaling. <laughs>